welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us today. So Katie, you went away from the farm and you came back. How is life away from the farm? I'm apparently allergic to California, which was a fun new thing. And uh, I was on antibiotics and I have been developing a sun allergy, but the medication apparently threw me right over the edge. And the girl child got stitches in her face while I was gone. I got a call from daycare that there had been a uh, ladle in the sandbox incident. It was an accident in all fairness, but this was the boy she had said she wanted to kiss. And now that he accidentally hit her in the face, she's not even his best friend anymore, let alone oh, wanting no. to kiss him. Tragedy. So, yeah. Over before it began in the pre-K lot. Other than that, it was good to be gone. It's good to be home. Other than the flight delay on the way home. Yeah. It actually took me longer to get home than it did my coworker who lives in Japan, which is a little embarrassing, but whatever. Really nothing on the, the farm front. The guy started planting corn last night. Jim got in at 3.30 this morning. So we've got two more fields to plant, but I think then we're actually done for the spring, which would be nice and right in time to start cutting hay. So what's been going on in your world, Arlene? Well, we had a really good stretch of dry, warm, sunny weather. I know that I shouldn't really say that because following lots of other farmers on uh, social media, I know that planting and seeding is not necessarily going well in other parts of the world, but here in Eastern Ontario, we had a good stretch of, of nice weather all in a row. And so we got all the corn and soybeans in, and then we've actually had a couple days of rain, which has been nice too, to get, to get those freshly planted fields into some, get some moisture into them too. So yeah, things on that end are, are going pretty well. Calf training has started for the kids. So there's some, some work going on with getting those 4-H heifers used to being on a halter. They, the boys haven't actually walked with their calves yet, but they're, they're getting climatized to them. And my daughter's been out with her calf a lot, so that's good. And what else is happening? Oh, I started playing um, a sport again, which has been a bit of a shock to my body, but it's kind of fun. The, I've been playing, I played ball hockey for a couple of years and then pandemic shut that all down, but I'm playing again, so... I'm is that like hurting field hockey then, as... Arlene? No. So it's in the arena. So there's no ice, but it's on like a regulation, like hockey ice surface. So okay. it's, it's, yeah, it's like hockey, like ice hockey, but you're using your feet and very hard ball. So when it hits you, that part hurts, but yeah. So it's the, the, the rules of hockey, but running instead of skating. So Arlene, this time of year, it's not bad, but later in the summer, it's very hot and sweaty in the, in the arena. Yeah. I did really appreciate that I was able to reach out to you last night about the concussion protocols after the boy child biffed it on this slide. It's always handy to flip through that mental Rolodex of which parent do I know who's going to have the most uh, experience in this? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to right. say he's showing no 
lasting ill effects other than he kind of looked like a uh are the klingons the one with the big ridge down in the middle of their forehead i think is so, that the yeah. frangies yeah he looked like a star trek character this morning <laughs> it's a pretty pretty substantial goose egg right in the middle of his face oh Everybody. nice but but no stitches but, for him no and that's you know as much as i joke about getting a punch card for the urgent care i'd really prefer not to have to so. for sure Especially because I was bringing the girl child back to school from getting her stitches removed when, when he had his lifted injury. on this slide. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys, I appreciate you alternating, but maybe we could not. Would yeah, be great. leave a few days in between. Yeah. Another yeah. thing that I got off my to-do list, which I have been meaning to do since last fall, was we had plans to go around to each of the fields because we have a bunch of smaller fields in different locations with access points off of multiple different roads and actually get a record and print it out of each of the field entrances what we call them and then what the closest 911 number is to those field entrances if an emergency were to ever happen because in some places you can get a 911 number for a non-residential property or something that doesn't have a building but where we live you can't actually um, get those markers so we were we just drove down each road and then kind of picked out what the closest house or building was to that field entrance so that if someone ever had to call 911 and they were in some random field then you would be able to tell the person on the other end of the line at least approximately where the emergency was happening so that felt pretty good i laminated all the sheets so we have one in each tractor and there's one in the barn and one in my house and one at my mother-in-law's house so we're ready for emergencies i hope we never that have is to a, use it but it that was, is a uh, very very good idea yeah our yeah. local insurance agent had shared a post of another farmer who had done it and i put it on my to-do list at that point because i was like that is a really good idea and even for ourselves to say what is that you know because sometimes i even get a call where the, you know like can you pick me up at such and such a, a place and i'm like which one is that <laughs> remind me again you know like because it's always you know who used to own the farm before or yeah the the names sometimes don't always make sense to me but yeah, so that felt good to get that off the list of things to do. So there's a tip. If you have a, a rainy day sometime, get your get your field access points mapped out and know where everybody is. Yeah, we don't have any good system for identifying what field we're talking about. So today we're talking to Lydia Kyle, a fourth generation rancher from New Mexico. And Lydia, we start each of our interviews with the same question. This is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. So we ask, what are you growing? And this can cover crops, livestock, families, businesses, and all manner of other things. So Lydia, what are you growing? First and foremost, I am growing three small children. So we have three under the age of five right now. They were three under three when the youngest was born. So that is obviously my number one priority. Right. As far as growing things, that is my number one priority. When it comes to our the ranch that we manage and livestock, we are predominantly cattle, especially on the current operation we are managing. In the past, we've done goats and all kinds of things, but right now, mainly cattle. And then we are stewards of the land in the sense that we cannot have 
grass for our cattle without first having healthy soil. So first and foremost, we are growing a healthy soil biome. And then aside from that, I grow my social media. We have several home-based businesses and small businesses that me and my husband, who is a saddle maker on the side do. So we are growing a lot of things. And a lot of different things. Lydia, what breed of cattle do you have? So on the ranch that we manage right now, because we are in the Southwest, when we got here, there was a pretty even split be between desert cattle. So Corriente cattle, some people call, call them Corrienes, where you just run the words together. However you want to call them is just fine. And then Black Angus. And so we have started to steer more away from the Corriente and more towards Black Angus, but we have found a sweet spot with three-quarter Angus, quarter Corrienne, mother cat, just because they have the hardiness of the desert cattle, but they're also weaning larger calves. And so they're able to deal with our up and down climate, but still wean those heavier and beefier calves. We put a Corrienne bull on our first year replacement heifers just because all Angus bulls on them. Okay, well, now I'll let Arlene get back to her question. I just, <laughs> you know, if we don't ask, somebody will. So. That's right. I think you're up. Yeah, no, it's great to All know. Right. And, and it's very different based on where you are. Yeah. It's very different based on where you are in the country. You know, where I came from, you know, our family was running very large red Angus cows. I mean, 11, 1200 pound mother cows as to where here down South, you know, a, a 900 pound mother cow, that's, that's pretty big for the kind of country that we're in. So it does, it varies from place to place. And it's very interesting to know what works for the different areas. So Lydia, where did you start out then? I am originally from the Great Basin of the Northwest. So my family's historic ranch, which was started many generations ago, is in Northern California. And by Northern California, I don't mean like Sacramento. I mean, true Northern California. And then my parents started a smaller operation just across the California border in Southern Oregon. And so that's originally where I was raised, born, raised, and grew up. And then since then, my husband and I have kind of been all over the place, both individually and collectively. And now we are currently in New Mexico. All righty. Sorry, it's hard to uh, tell who's going to talk with all the video off. And for our listeners, if we get interrupted, my apologies. Arlene's power is out. Lydia is traveling, shall we say. And my husband is out planting. So my kids are in the house fighting about YouTube videos, I think. I don't know. I have headphones <laughs> on, so who knows what they're doing out there. We've all got kids uh, in the background, so we'll see how, how long our luck holds out, right? Yeah, Lydia, my kids are five and four, so I feel you on the, the little Dude, ones. You're just me. ahead of me. You're just yeah. ahead of me. My oldest is four, so you're, you're just right ahead of me. <laughs> I honestly, I love having our kids so close in age because they do the same activities. They have the same friends. They're pretty evenly matched when they're trying to murder each other, so... You know, I don't worry about it so much. There you go. So normally we record, you know, a couple of weeks ahead. 
this episode we're recording on Saturday night for a Monday morning release because Lydia, you had put out a call to action asking anyone who has a platform of any kind to contact you because your community is being affected by the wildfires in New Mexico. And like it goes with national news, we haven't heard anything about it in Iowa. I'm guessing that Canada hasn't been getting a lot of coverage on it either. No, other than Lydia's Instagram, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you for our listeners about what's going on. And, you know, if you can just tell us what's happening, I guess. Sorry. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll start at the beginning and then kind of, I think it's been going on for so long now that it, it's, I don't know, it's almost turned into this murky soup of bad news because this has been going on for six weeks now. It's just crazy. But back in April, way back in April, on April 6th, There was a prescribed burn. And again, this is all happening in northern New Mexico. A lot of people don't realize that in New Mexico, we have very diverse landscapes. So we have southern New Mexico, which is dry, 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 desert, 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 right? And then northern New Mexico, where I currently live, we're very high elevation. We have ponderosa pine. We have pinon pine. We have oak brush. We have all of these things. And so, you know, we're we're more of a high desert climate. Climate. We are in a historic drought. We are dealing with dry issues. So we're higher elevation. We've got a lot of timber and yet we're still incredibly dry. So back on April 6th of 2022, there was a prescribed burn performed by the Forest Service. And we can get into the details of why that was a horrible idea in a little bit. But I remember that day and I remember seeing that That's interesting. There's a giant plume of smoke over there in the distance. And, you know, when you live in the wilderness, that's not a good thing, right? Like, it's not like we're living in these lush green valleys. We're living up in the mountains. And so if you see smoke, you want to know why. And so I texted a neighbor and her husband's on the volunteer fire department. And I said, Hey, you know, I see smoke out my window. What is that? She said, Oh, it's just a prescribed burn. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that's weird. What a, what a terrible day to do a prescribed burn. We had like 30 to 40 mile an hour gusts. We're incredibly dry. April is the windiest month of the year. Like, why would you be doing a prescribed burn? Literally 30 minutes later, she sends me another text message that says, never mind, they've classified it as a wildfire. And if you look at the official verbiage on these things, it will say things like multiple areas grew outside the prescribed burn or, you know, it's just it's just government language. But all it comes down to is they this prescribed burn. And again, this is way back in April. Our house and the wind was blowing the opposite direction. So it was blowing it away from us. And while it was horrible to watch what it was doing because we knew what it was doing to the communities on the other side of it, it was not coming towards us. So for a solid month, we just watched this fire go 
And I mean, it was decimating communities on the other side. People had been evacuated the, the whole nine yards. What we lived through a month later had already been happening to tons of communities within our county. And then that fire proceeded to grow and grow and grow. And it was called the Hermit's Peak Fire. Then on May 19th, there was another fire that started, which is quote unquote under investigation. I, I am willing to speculate that it was started by an ember from the orig original fire. If, if there was no malicious intent, which maybe there was, I don't know, but I'm willing to speculate that there was an ember from the original fire that landed in a spot and started this second blaze. And that was called the Calf Canyon fire. That is the fire that we were evacuated from. But those fires, the Hermit Peak and the Calf Canyon actually converged with each other, which means they became one and they were named the Hermit's Peak Complex Fire. And that's what we're currently up against right now. For us, what happened and the reason why it affected us where we were is because the wind shifted. So instead of blowing it away from us or instead of blowing it parallel to us, on April 29th, the wind shifted and it burned directly down on top of us. And that's when our family was evacuated in the middle of the night. We have not been home since. The fire burned a large portion of the property that we managed. It did not burn any of our structures or houses, which was a miracle. By every definition, it was a miracle. However, even now, even though we were evacuated on April 29th, so almost a full month now, we've been evacuated. We still can't go home, even though they've lifted the mandatory evacuations, because we don't have power, because it burned the power lines leading to our house. And what have you done in terms of livestock and where are the where are the cows at this point? And I'm assuming you have horses as well. What what did that look yeah. like in terms of your evacuation? So the night of the evacuation we did get the horses out. You know, my husband called me at about one o'clock that day and he said, Hey, this thing is moving really fast. I don't know if it's going to come down on us, but you need to come home and pack some stuff. And I was kind of like, okay, you're overreacting. Like, seriously, we've been watching this thing for four weeks and it's never come towards us. Like really? But then I got home and I looked at it and went, Oh my God, it's coming towards us <laughs> and started your birth certificates, your passports, your insurance, all of those things, then the family heirlooms, and then some go bags, you know, with three small children, you got to have clothes, you got to have diapers, you got to have books, you got to have those things. And then my husband was gathering horses, the ranch does have about 25 head of horses. And they weren't in a super accessible place. So he was gathering them up to move them to a place where they could be loaded quickly and efficiently if we needed to leave, which is in fact what happened in the middle of the night. We chose to leave the cattle behind, not because they were less important, just simply because cattle have a little bit more relaxed survival instinct than a horse. Horses, in my opinion, are uh, panicky. And mm -hmm. if something is to come up and disturb their peace, they're going to be the ones that blow through fences and cause more of a problem for themselves than is actually necessary. As to where cattle are incredibly unbothered by pretty much everything. So we just trusted our pasture management. We knew that our pastures, because we are in a drought, everything is 
heavily grazed, not heavily grazed in the sense that they're mismanaged. It's just the fact that we're at that time of year where the grass is short, we haven't got rain and there ain't much there. So when that fire comes out of the tree lines and hits those grassy areas, there's not a ton of fuel for it. So we essentially were just trusting what we knew about, you know, what kind of fuels were on the property where the cattle were and chose to leave the cattle in areas where there wasn't heavy timber and where they could essentially move away from it and in a calm way if they needed to, which is what they did. It did actually burn into one of the pastures where we had cattle. We have two separate herds at this time. The herd with our older Angus mother cows, it did burn into their pasture. It burned down to the timber line and then it did come out across that grassy area. And again, for those who are not familiar with, you know, kind of the landscape of where we live, when I'm talking about a grassy area, I'm not talking about lush green pastures. I'm talking about native desert grasses. So, you know, it's not like a a hay pasture. We're talking about dry It was interesting because it came down the timber line and actually came into those pastures where those cows were and burned out across the pasture, not super quickly and not very hot, but even the firefighters said that those cattle just kind of moved out of its way. And then when it cooled down, they went back to go get water because their water tank was (laughs) in the burned area. They just did not care. I'm just picturing the way cows are, right? Like just chewing their cud, like, all right, can we go back now? Exactly. You know, the other pasture that we chose to put cattle in, luckily the fire never jumped the highway that separates the two. So we had another, another pasture that was untouched, but we chose to leave the cattle because we just trusted their instinct. We trusted our knowledge of what was in those pastures as far as fuel. And we just, you know, prayed about it. And my husband has gone back and forth to the ranch. He's been allowed to get past roadblocks and, you know, mandatory evacuation things because he was working side by side with the Forest Service and the volunteer fire departments, putting down dozer lines and fire lines and all of those things, but also because he needed to feed cattle. And uh, that's official business. So while the horses were out, And we are currently, I know I kind of, that's a long convoluted answer. As far as us as humans, we were very lucky after some couch surfing, so to speak, as much as you can couch surf with three little kids. We have friends who manage a ranch in a different county that is about an hour away from where we live. They had an empty as essentially uh, just a remote house barn corral area where a foreman or a ranch hand or a manager would live. They had an empty cow camp that they offered to us. And that's kind of where we've been calling home for the past month. Sure. So is your husband able to live in your house or he's having to travel from somewhere else back and forth to where the cattle are and where he's helping with the the fire? When we were originally, when we were originally very much in the firefight, um, figuratively and literally, he was, he was mostly 
the, at the ranch that was burning. I, I don't think he was sleeping. I don't think he was eating. He was just sure. purely yeah. running on adrenaline. And I was here with the kids. Now that things have calmed down, we were in a little bit of a limbo where he was going back every two days to feed cattle. And other than that, he was here with us because we didn't have power. There was nothing that could be done. You know, in some ways you don't want to be in the way of these hotshot crews that are here to manage the fire. And so he was going back every few days to check on things and feed. And now essentially what we're looking at, they've lifted the mandatory evacuations. Like I said before, we still don't have electricity at our house, but there is another house on property that we manage that I think we're planning on temporarily moving into because it's closer. We're kind of at that point where it's like, okay, I think it's, it feels safe enough to go back. Obviously we can't go to our house, but there is this house that's technically a guest house that we can make fairly comfortable for the foreseeable future, but then we'll be at least on our home ranch instead of an hour away. Sure. So in terms of, of feed and water and those types of things were your, I mean, obviously if some of the pasture already burned, then that is going to be, you know, have impacts further on. What does that look like in terms of your ability to, to run the amount of livestock that you currently have, you know, into the, the rest of this year or, or going Well, forward? and that's, you know, that's a, a two-sided coin, in my opinion. There's, there's a bright side, and then there's obviously the immediate, you know, dread. But that being said, we're in a drought. So we were prepared to not have summer feed regardless. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just a, this is just insult to injury in a lot of, because, you know, it, it was, we were just planning on it being one of those years. And, and when we have those years, you just prepare to supplement your cattle, however you need to. And if you, if it gets that bad, you start to cull the herd. And, and you downsize. We had to do that in 2020. We had a very bad drought year in 2020. And we just got rid of everything that was old, ornery, and open. That's my husband's motto. If you're old, you're ornery, or you're open, you're going down the road. And uh, we culled the herd pretty deep just because we needed to, you know, lower that carrying capacity. And last year wasn't as bad. It was still very, very dry. This winter, we're in an area, like I said, where we're 7,000, 8,000 feet elevation. We do get snow. We do get winter and we never got ranges are bare. I mean, now they're burned to a crisp, but there was no snowpack. And that tells us that we're in for a long summer unless we get massive monsoons, which we're in an area that kind of the monsoons tend to skirt by us. So we were mentally preparing for a hard summer regardless. And we were mentally preparing to supplement cattle and, you know, possibly cull cattle regardless. And like I said, this is just kind of insult to injury. But that being said, there is a bright side because anybody who is in agriculture knows the power, the positive power that fire can have. And while we didn't ask for this, while this is incredibly devastating and unfortunate, those pastures are going to come back beautifully. We are already seeing green grass popping up out of the ashes, and it hasn't even been three weeks since it, it blew through there and just decimated 
all of those areas and we're seeing green grass coming up, imagine what it's going to do if we get a little bit of rain, you know? So there is that bright side that, you know, while we have to look at this ugly burnt to a crisp mess right now, it does have the potential to be absolutely beautiful in this season. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so sorry, uh, sorry. Ahead, Katie. Lydia, how common are fires in your area? I mean, in the Midwest, we get floods, which generally don't have a lot of impact on livestock and tornadoes, which at least are over quickly. And, you know, the only time we get fires is if we're burning off ditches or like we burn off our CRP. So I'm just wondering how common this sort of thing is in, in New Mexico. So in New Mexico, I wouldn't say it's uncommon, but when we're talking about a fire of this magnitude, this is, and especially this early, right? A lot of times when we're talking about fire season, it's a lightning strike or, you know, someone forgot to put out a campfire. Like I don't, and granted, keep in mind, we have only been in New Mexico for three years. So I'm not speaking to you as a native New Mexican. I'm speaking to you as a transplant who has lived here for under five years, but my understanding is, is that wildfires in New Mexico are not unheard of, but right now New Mexico has multiple fires that are burning that are over a hundred thousand acres. And this one in particular that we're talking about the Hermit's Peak complex, we're up to, I believe the thousand acres, it has been burning for almost two months. And we are the largest fire in New Mexico state history. So, and the fact that all of this happened in April and May is unheard of. April and May is not fire season. Even someone from California where they just, you know, they just plan for it. Like, whoop, it's fire season. Like, it's just life as someone who's come from that area of of the West where fire season is just a fact of life, you still don't do it in April and May. That's just not, that's not normal. And, and the fact that it was a prescribed burn is just, you know, again, it's, it's just incredibly frustrating. I feel like I've gone through every stage of grief possible. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So Lydia, we're both a parenting podcast and a farming and ranching podcast. So what I want to ask next is how are your kids coping? How are they doing with everything that's going on? You know, they are just, they are little warriors, all things considered. And, and luckily they're young enough that I I don't feel like this is super, they don't really feel super displaced. I, I know they miss home, but toddlers are so incredibly adaptable, especially, especially farm and ranch kids, right? Like they can sleep on the floor bed of a a floorboard of a truck. Like they're, they're just so adaptable. So I know they miss home, but all things considered, they're doing very well with the fact that, you know, we can't go home right now and they're understanding why. I think that all the children in our community are going to have some long-term lasting effects from this because it was scary. And I noticed, especially for my children, I noticed our four-year-old was having nightmares right after it happened. You know, our three-year-old started to have some, some wetting his pants accidents and he's fully potty trained. They're not that they're not going to daycare because we are so far away from daycare right now. There's no way for me to get them 
there and back and have it make sense for our family. They play games where they're firemen and they're building fire lines and they need to get away from a fire or they need to stop a fire or, you know, they're, it's, it's very much in their face. They, they are dealing with a new reality, but because they are young and because they are adaptable, they're just processing it in the best way that they can. I think it would be incredibly different for a nine-year-old. It would be incredibly different for a 15-year-old. Every you know stage and age would process this differently. I think they're just processing it as best they can as being toddlers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So parent to parent, how are you doing? Being displaced is very, very hard. You know, I struggle with ADHD and overstimulation. And so, you know, being disorganized is very, very hard for me. Also, just as a small business owner and as someone who works from home, it the fact that they're not going to daycare is incredibly hard to keep all the ducks in a row, let alone in the same pond. So we're just going day by day. And in some ways, I think this is good for me as a parent to kind of relinquish control in some regards. I'm learning a lot about, you know, the fact that I don't need control to survive. I can, I can manage this. We can do this. We're doing it. But it turned everything upside down for all of us. You know, we had a, we had a pretty good system as far as life went. And as mundane and boring as that might sound for some people, it was how we functioned as a family unit. And now, I mean, some days it feels like that you blink and the day is gone. And then there's other days you look at the clock and it feels like it should be three in the afternoon and it's only 9 a.m. It's just you never know what you're going to get. And I think when you're living in a state of crisis, it just feels like you can't get your footing and you can't keep the room from spinning no matter what you do. It's just one of those things where eventually one day we're going to wake up and it's we're going to have a routine again. However, right now it's just pure chaos. Well, and I think, Lydia, a lot of why we wanted to start this podcast is that outside of the ag community, it's so hard for folks to understand that like for you, your husband isn't just there hanging out to help you know he still has cattle to feed there are still things that have to happen outside of just having your partner around and I think that's something that's really misunderstood you know that yes well and we're very lucky out yeah well and I think you know I always I always kind of applaud my husband you know our 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 lives are no bed of roses by any means but I think we we do a really good job being a team we do a really good job being a family unit we're in this together and at the end of the day what matters is that we're a family we're we are married and that's what matters you know just for an example of the chaos and and how you know what you were saying there are still things that have to get done my kids so part of what we're doing for parenting and for the kids is i've just accepted that like we have no routine everything is chaos we can kind of just do whatever we want right and so we just packed up and my parents who live in texas now they were in fort worth texas which is one of my favorite places to go they were there for work so the kids and i just packed up and went and met them there and it was great but then on the way home 
interstate with a car that would not go anywhere. And so hold on one sec, Lydia, you cut out right after you were just starting to tell that story and you cut out. So just tell us about the ride home. Okay. So we're driving home from Fort Worth, Texas after this great fun. And we got to see me, mom, papa, and my car breaks down and it was no fault of my car. There was debris in the interstate and we hit it and it was, you know, anyway, long story short, we're stranded on the side of the interstate, me and my three small children. And we're seven hours away from my husband. And so like you need one more thing right now. Exactly. It just feels like one thing after another, but what are you going to do? You trudge through it. So we get the car to a dealership. Of course they don't have the part. Okay. We find a hotel. Me and the kids get settled in, in the hotel. I finally get a hold of my husband. That's the other thing about where we live in New Mexico. Cell service is a luxury. So if he's at the ranch or he's on the road, he doesn't have cell phone service. So during all of this, I can't just call my husband and and ask for help or call my husband and ask him to call a tow truck. Like I have to, I have to handle this shit on and, and which is fine. Like I'm capable of doing that, but that's another thing that people don't understand if they're not in the ag industry is, you know, you don't have the luxury of just calling your spouse and having them be able to drop everything, but you know, my husband, bless his heart. We get to the hotel. We get the kids settled in. He finishes feeding his cows. He gets finished doing what immediately needed to be done. And he drops his trailer and he drives seven hours through the night to get to where we are with a trailer on to get my car. So today we spent all day traveling home when we get home, quote unquote home, the, t- the county that we call home, we still have to go up to the ranch. Kids who are exhausted and tired and done. I'm exhausted and tired and done. My husband is exhausted and tired and done. Yeah, we still sure. have to go up. We have to feed cows. We have to feed horses. We have to swap trailers again. We have to fix a water trough. We have to do all of these things. Then we have to drive another hour, get home to where we're calling home right now. But that's just life. And I think a lot of people outside of agriculture, you know, I know they have their own stuff that they deal with, but the level of resiliency that you are required to have when you live in this industry where crisis can literally happen at any given moment. I mean, I, I don't know how we do it, honestly. Like there are some days I lay down in bed and it's like, how, how did we manage to get through that day? (laughs) How did we do that? (laughs) By the grace of God only. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Just listening to you talk, you know, like even just like the breaking down and having three little kids on the side of the road makes me want to, you know, burst into tears, but yeah, all the, all the other tears and and crying is okay. And that's part of it, right? (laughs) It's part of it. Feelings are okay. (laughs) They say maybe it's good because we get more practice with that kind of shit that like, what option do you have? It's not like you can throw your hands up and be like, well, I guess we just live on the side of the interstate now, kids, you know, like, I guess we're just staying here. So. Yeah. And I think honestly, (laughs) you look at things differently and, and I honestly, I think it helped us in the whole evacuation process. You know, it, it helped us 
to be able to say, okay, what is the next step? What is the next immediate thing that needs to happen? We need need to get this stuff in the trailer. We need to load these horses. We need to take these horses to X place where they have feed and they have water. It's like your brain just functions differently because it's almost like your body has adapted to knowing you don't have time to panic. You don't have time to process the emotions right now. You'll process them later. And I did, you know, anybody who has been following me on social media through this, I cried a lot. I cried over my house because I thought I was going to lose my house. I had to drive away from my house, watching it in the rear view mirror with flames behind it. Like I didn't, I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want to have to go through this. And yet it is what it is. And you have to go through it because what else are you going to do? You can't stop here. You can't live in this season. You have to go through the season. And I think our lifestyle in some ways just lends itself to processing those minor and massive crises, crises, I guess is the appropriate term. (laughs) Well, and I think you're exactly right because it's not like, you know, it's not like fire season is not going to happen because you just cannot this year, you know, and you can't not calve because you don't feel like it you know like all of it has to be done and that's just where it is well and you never know when these things are going to happen you know like it's like you said stop these things from happening you just I think you just honestly need to be firmly rooted enough in your faith whatever that is or you know your belief system or your whatever whatever it is for anyone I'm I'm not for me I am, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus and my faith is rooted in that. And honestly, there have been days during this where that is the only constant and you don't know when these things are going to happen to you, but crisis will find you. So you need to be at least rooted in something firm enough to where that crisis is not going to push you off the deep end because a lot of people it does. For sure. So how can our ag community support your community? And is there anywhere specific that folks can donate anything? Anything, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, So right now, so just to give people who are listening an idea, so it is Saturday night. I did just listen to the latest briefing. And essentially what they're, what they're saying about it is right now we have, quote unquote, the tale of two fires, right? It's one complex fire, but we've almost got two separate fires burning at this point. We have fires burning on the Northeast end of this complex fire. And then we have fires burning on the South end. The South end is where we're located. Our ranch and our home is no longer a major threat area right now, but it has crossed over and is threatening new areas. Just today, I got the emergency alert for you know five new areas that are on you know get ready to evacuate status, and then three that are on mandatory evacuation, immediate evacuation. So it has crossed over the mountain. It's going and going into a new area where it plans on wreaking havoc. And then we have the Northeast end where it is headed towards other areas. So it's amazing the, the sheer 
I, I what's the word I'm looking expanse that this fire is taking up. So you have all of the stuff in the middle, right? Where it's either extinguished or it's dormant or they're just watching it, you know, it's slowly burning. And then you have these two massive hot spots on either end. There's about 450 miles between those two areas. And that's as the crow flies, right? Like that's crazy how big this thing is. As of right now, the last I've heard is we are approximately 26,000 families, households that are displaced due to this fire. Our area is not a massive agricultural area. However, we have a lot of small farms. We have a lot of, you know, small operations, generational family farms, places like us obviously do exist in the area, but we have a lot of people with needs as far as, you know, feeding livestock getting their family to a safe situation. And then we have to, you know, deal with the concept of rebuilding. Where do we go from here? And so if you're curious about what's going on, if you want to stay up to date on what's going on, or you would like to donate the best resource that I've found. And as, as strange as this sounds, it's actually Facebook. So if you go to Facebook, there is a group on Facebook. You can literally just go in and search Calf Canyon. So Calf as in baby cow, Calf Canyon, or you can search Hermit's Peak Fire. There is an inclusive Facebook group that is for everyone. And that has been a really, really good place to not only get updates on what's happening with the fire and the people, the actual testimony of the families who are walking through this, you know, it kind of just makes it real. You know, you can listen to news stories and it doesn't really feel real. But then when you see people posting these before and after pictures, you know, of these houses that their family has, have lived in for six generations and then it's just gone, it really makes it real. But also that's been a great place for people to get connected with different organizations that are helping within the community, whether that's, you know, the Humane Society donating dog food to dogs that got left behind in the area or the livestock commissioners that are handling hay delivery to the different areas where, where livestock was evacuated to or, you know, human-based organizations that are helping families that have been displaced. That Facebook group honestly has been one of the best places that I've seen as far as a landing pad for being connected to those resources. I did just um, find Dan join the group and we will link this all on our show page and everything. I know I donated earlier this year to somebody who was dealing with a fire in Texas and one thing they did too was that they had people were calling and basically buying gift cards at their local farm store to be donated to folks who needed feed and things just because it's a lot easier to send cash than to bring feed, you know, if it's right. Yes. Well, and, in and your luckily, area. Yeah. Well, luckily in New Mexico, so we have the New Mexico livestock Bo- board, which is a, just a government run network of livestock commissioners, brand inspectors, you know, just they're, they represent, the livestock raisers in our state. And when a crisis like this happens, they are a great middleman sources mm-hmm. and those who need the resources. And they really have been doing an amazing job. You know, even just, I, I read a post today 
from someone who I know in the community, she's been meeting with the livestock commissioner with uh, cat and dog food. And he's been taking cat and dog food to an area that's been closed off and handing that off to, you know, people in that area that can help distribute that, you know, so that's not, that's not his job. Cats and dogs aren't his job. Cattle and horses and sheep and all of those are his job, but yet he's stepping in and providing that much needed, you know, middleman in this situation. So luckily in New Mexico, we do have those resources that kind of fill the gap for those that need. No, that's great to hear. So I know, Lydia, you need to get going. You got some kids to feed and you've got a ton going on in your life. So where can people find you? And if there's anything else you want to say before we wrap up, this is your, your time to do it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for you guys uh, taking the time to do this. I know scheduling was a little bit chaotic for all of us. So I really appreciate you taking the time to even let me bring this to people's attention. As far as finding me on social media, Instagram is my main platform and you can find me there. It's at ranch underscore wife underscore. I'm also on Facebook, ranchers wife life, but Instagram is my main platform. The only thing I want to say is, you know, thank you so much to all of the people who have sent just, even if it's just messages of prayers and support, but also those who have just taken it upon themselves to be invested in what's happening in New Mexico for the sake of knowing what's going on. It just, this is one of those things where we very well could just be a blip on the radar, radar to the news media. And yet somehow through the amazing network of social media, we have been able to bring attention to what's happening in our state. And I just want to thank people who really have no vested uh, stake in the in the game, right? For New Mexico, we're just a tiny little state that doesn't have a whole lot going on. And yet there are people all over the world that are paying attention to what's happening. And so just thank you to everyone who, who cares, it, because even just caring matters during these times. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us tonight. And we're sending Absolutely. strength and love and prayers to your family and to your whole community. And we hope that you get some rain to stop some fires and that, that things get back to something that looks more like normal really soon. Absolutely. Pray for rain. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> thank you, ladies. All right. Have a good night. You too. You too. <clears throat> All right. Do we just want to do the cussing and discussing or what do we want to do here? Yeah, we might just well. like wrap our show up. Somehow. Yeah, exactly. I, I just knew. Wow. I knew that Lydia needed to get moving. So, yeah, and for she, sure, for sure. She has enough to cuss today yeah, and yeah. for the rest of her life. So yeah. we can carry on. So Katie, have you thought about it lately? If you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what, what would it be? I know we answered this in our very first episode, but time has passed. And I want to know if your answer has changed. Potato appreciation. Potato appreciation. Yeah. So like different variety, like potatoes cooked in different formats or what, what are we appreciating All of about it. potatoes? All, All, <laughs> All of the it. potatoes. Okay. Got it. it. Yeah. What about you, Arlene? No, I haven't. 
honestly, I've been just loving everyone's creative answers and I really should have put some more thought into this. I think I'd like there to be like one of those all around categories. I don't know if I could dominate it for sure. Cause I mean, people have a lot of skills, but if there was one of those things where you had to enter like something in the baking and then like something in the photography and like all the different categories, I feel like I could probably do pretty well at that. Cause I'm not like super good at any one thing, but you know, like pretty decent at a lot of different things. So we'll go for like a, an all around top score winner. Cause every time the fair book comes out, I think, oh, I can enter in all these categories. And then I never do. But you know, in this hypothetical fair, I would actually take the time to enter some stuff. That sounds a lot more well-planned out than my potato appreciation. I mean, answer, I like but I'm going to stick too. with it. Yeah, go yeah. for it. All right, so we'll move into cussing and discussing. We have registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, and we want to hear your cussing and discussing entries. We haven't had too many. I know we've got one for this week, so that's exciting. But if you call us, then we will put them on the show. So go to www.speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we'll read it out for you. So Katie, after all that fire talk, it feels a little, um, Petty? No, not petty. What word am I looking for? It feels like we really, yeah, it feels like we really <laughs> shouldn't be cussing or discussing anything, but it's part of the show. So cuss or discuss, what are you going for? I'm going to cuss and discuss how little anybody in our country knows about the rest of the country. I honestly, I mean, I guess I knew that New Mexico had mountains, but I picture it as looking like the Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, with the, the Roadrunner and the Coyote and just being like <laughs> yeah. flat fucking desert. Like, or Honestly, some cliffs for you know, yeah. animals to fall off. Right. Like I saw something about this fire and my first thought was like, what the hell's going to burn? It's just dirt. This is apparently not true. There are apparently trees. Well, <laughs> maybe not anymore. There were trees in New yes. Mexico, at least. There Hopefully there be will be quite a few to burn. Yeah. Yeah. There will be some more soon, you know, but that coupled with the fact that the general public doesn't seem to think it matters if we set ranches and farms on fire or flood them or whatever. I do honestly hope that people don't find out how precarious our food system globally is, but people would do well to think more about it. Anyway, Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss? You know, after listening to all of Lydia's problems, I feel like I've got none. But I'm just going to go with probably what everyone is feeling in the spring who has pets and go with shedding animals because (laughs) (laughs) it's like my house is a ball of fluff because we have, as you know, we have a dog now, we have two cats and a rabbit and rabbits shed a ton. So just a little bit of fluff and hair everywhere and I love the creatures and I don't want to kick them out, but sometimes in the spring I do. I was well, on this. It. I was it's on this Zoom call this week, and it looked like the cat who jumped in my lap had exploded. It was. <laughs> it was very bad. Like I barely touched her, and it was just this cloud of hair. L- like when a dandelion, when all the yeah. little things just like yeah, float exactly. away. Exactly. Just yeah, like it was that gross. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on Barnyard Language. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. 
If you would like to connect with other farm families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. Please take the time to rate and review this podcast on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else you find your podcasts and follow the show so you never miss an episode. Through Patreon, you can commit to making a small monthly donation to support the production costs of this podcast. We would be thrilled if you went to www.patreon.com backslash Barnyard Language to become a patron of the show. We're always looking for future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. Barnyard Language is a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. Arlene, it's gotten ominously quiet in my living room, so either my kids are asleep or they're God knows what they're doing, but I better go check. Maybe they're in another part of the house doing damage where you cannot find them. Oh, Lord, don't say that. (laughs) All right, you better go find them. I'll talk to you later. Good night. Good night.